You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. 40 years of This is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruben Yeshua Popko of Beth Israel, Beth Aaron, Cote St. Luke, suburb of Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Uh, Rabbi Pupko, I, you know that we usually try to assume a, a very lighthearted tone when we talk here. And uh, of course, that has to do with the nature of your personality and the nature of mine and the nature of our relationship. I, I think we probably have to start again, unfortunately, with, uh, with a, a very tone of sobriety and uh, somberness in terms of uh, really... Uh, we're quite scared about what's happening here. This, 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 this seemingly uh, the, the the terrible uh, rocket fire and 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 calling up of troops. It seems like uh, we are in for a an, a couple of weeks, perhaps, of of intense tefillas uh, to the Rebbeinu show about what's going on. Why, why don't you give us your? You know, I know that you're a person who is always aware of what internally uh, has probably fostered this. Why don't you give us your take on what's going on here in Eretz Israel? I'm going to start uh, by saying the least important thing possible today, and the most inconsequential thing. The most inconsequential thing I will say during our time together, which, by the way, is always too brief. The most inconsequential thing I will say this morning is the following. I will begin by criticizing every other rabbi I know before talking about the serious issue at hand. And every rabbi I know who gets up and talks about these things, it seems to be the child of the sewer of narcissism in which they've been raised, where the first thing they talk about is their nephew or their cousin or their brother or their son or whoever who's on the front lines, who's in a bunker somewhere. And I'm not going to talk about that because for some reason, people have are incapable of talking about an issue unless they make it deeply personal. All right? this, is, this is a deeply personal issue to every single Jew. And, as, and, and I don't need to, your, your virtue doesn't have to be signaled to me by some proximate suffering or, uh, or, 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 or suffering by proxy. So that's, I'm not going to do that. You and I both have a family in Israel. We're not going to talk about them. We wish them and every other Jew in Israel well. Now, so the inconsequential part of this uh, encounter is now behind us. But it was just yes. a pet peeve of mine. Yes, um, yes. Well, it's it's always good when you can, you know, uh, spew out a little bit of venom of uh, on your colleagues. That's right. Okay. okay. The next thing I'd like to talk about is the serious issue. Listen, we've all seen encounters with Gaza before, where there were pretexts or alleged provocations. This is the single worst example of a completely unprovoked attack. Uh, Israel had done nothing. Uh, to provoke uh, Hamas in Gaza, absolutely nothing. They had been facilitating month after month the transfer of millions of dollars of, of aid from Qatar. They've been doing everything they can to help the humanitarian situation in Gaza, although that situation is the doing of the Palestinian leadership themselves. And Israel, this is, is so bizarre, this whole thing. And basically what's happened is, and again, there are other layers to this, but I think basically what's happened here is that Israel has become the arena for a political campaign between the West Bank and Gaza, between Fatah and Hamas, where uh, Abbas a couple of weeks ago canceled the elections that were scheduled for this year, the three elections that were canceled for the, PL, for the PLC, the Palestine Legislative Council, for the presidency and for inside the PLO itself. And he canceled the elections because he thought he would lose and possibly lose to Hamas. His own faction was divided. His own, you know, his own, you know, people who you think support him did not and ran separate slates and he was going to lose. And he canceled the election. Obviously that taints his popularity. Obviously he needs to do two things, distract attention from that and up his popularity. And the simple way to do that is to incite violence over the hot-button issue of Jerusalem. It was during Ramadan. If the Israeli police had blocked off Damascus gates, we can, you know, done, it all would happen anyway, but we can d- debate the wisdom of that. But they, they blocked off uh, the gate. They couldn't gather like they usually do during Ramadan. There was the Sheikh Jarrah legal case, which is 
Yeah, why, why Basically you, a rental why, why, dispute, yeah, a half yeah, a century long yeah, rental dispute. Yeah, why don't you t- tell us a little bit about that? Tegzara I, 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 is, uh, is known by its Hebrew name uh, as well, Shimon HaTzadik uh, neighborhood, and where, where he's buried. And uh, Jews purchased the land. It was actually jointly purchased uh, by the Ashkenazic and Sephardic communities in Jerusalem at the time. They purchased the land. They have Ottoman, t- they have Ottoman deeds, title to the land, everything else. And for a brief period, they were evicted from that land between 1948 and 1967. In 1948, the Jordanians uh, uh, expelled the Jews from that area, or, or Jews left because of the impending uh, occupation, illegal occupation of, by the Jordanians. And by the way, so Arabs move into Jewish homes in the Jewish neighborhood. Jordan granted title to many homes there to Arab families. Israel recognized that granting of title. The homes that we're now in talking about that are now in legal, that are now in court, the legal case of Sheikh Zara, were four homes that the Jordanians did not grant Arab families title to. So comes 1967, the families that lived there just 19 years before go to court, they win on, and the court says, you know, let the Arabs stay there. Just they'll have to pay you rent like everybody else. Right, they'll have to pay you rent. Um, I'm a little unclear if they ever did or never did, but certainly they haven't in many years, and <clears throat> they haven't for many, many years. The the owners of the property, like in any rental dispute, went to court in a civilized forum, guided by law, in courts that the right wing always complain are too left wing. Uh, they went to court, and the uh, Arabs obviously lost because the, you know you don't pay rent. Generally, you have to leave. Uh, that's a general thing. That's pretty much everywhere, and um, and they and, and the, the last ruling was by the Jerusalem District Court. It was going to be ruled on by the Supreme Court. BB interceded, asked the Supreme Court to delay a final uh, verdict in the case to calm things down till tempers cool. The court listened, and but again, they like listen. This has been going on since the 1930s. Whether it was uh, Hajjah Al Husseini whether it was uh, there were lies about Bibi building a tunnel to the Temple Mount or a visit by an Israeli public, uh, politician to the Temple Mount, they always have this crazy idea that the Jews are going to get rid of Al-Aqsa. Now, parenthetically, you and I both know why. Because had the situation been in reverse and there was a synagogue there, they would have destroyed that. They can't imagine a people like the Jewish people that liberate a city, take possession of their holiest site, and allow a foreign religious uh, building to remain there. They can't imagine that. It is beyond their cosmology. It is beyond the realm of possibility that they would ever permit something like that. All you have to do is look at what Erdogan just did in Turkey to an old church, what the, what, what the Taliban did to any site that wasn't Muslim in Afghanistan. We know that. We know how they think and how they operate. And they can't, it's like... It, it, you know, it's like anyway. The, the analogies are are infinite. Yeah, I, 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 I imagine. I would can't say, imagine. And, and of course, and the United States too. Again, when we when we're talking about uh, civil war conquest, or we're talking about driving out indigenous peoples in the United States, every sim, every other example of victory of, of of a victorious army in a war would, of course, take right, possession. But the point is, they are the interlopers. The Temple Mount is Jewish. Every Muslim tour guide book to the holy city of Jerusalem, written before 67, refers to the Temple Mount as al-Migdas. In the Arabic word, that's the Temple Mount. They made up this new word, Haram al-Sharif, because their own language strongly affirmed the Jewish ownership of the Temple Mount. Right, their own language and every Muslim book did that. This whole idea that Jerusalem is the third holiest city in Islam is an idea that no one heard of before the 20th century. No one. How many times did King Hussein visit Jerusalem in the 19 years of the occupation? How many times did he visit the temple? And all once. When an Arab stands in Jerusalem, they turn towards Mecca to pray. Right, this idea. Then they made up this lie that the Western Wall is where. 
I forget it was a mule, a donkey, or a camel. I get mixed up. When Mohammed uh, tied up his his animal, and that's all he played to them before he went up. The whole thing is a complete total fabrication. But it happened. It happened in a dream anyway. Yeah, the whole thing. It was his dream camel. If it was every anything. every authentic <laughs> Muslim scholar affirms everything I just said to you. Now, besides, so, but they use Jerusalem as, as incitement. The Jews are doing this to Al-Aqsa. The Jews are going to do this to this to this. So. Everybody has to now posture themselves as the defenders of Arab and Muslim rights in Jerusalem. So Abbas is it by inciting violence day after day after day on, in Palestinian media, inciting violence, where you have imams get up and describe in grotesque detail how to decapitate a Jew. Uh, and, and then there's the, the drive-by shooting, which left a poor yeshiva student, Yehuda Goethe, dead at the age of, of 19. And then you had, listen, there were some acts that were slightly provocative by Jews as well. You had that idiot Ben Gavir who decided to put his office there just to make, I want to tell you something, the problem with white wing, with some of the crazy right wing in Israel, is they're acting as if they're still in Gullahs. They are steeped in diaspora, that even though we're a sovereign, a sovereign state for over 70 years, they still act as if you have to do symbolic acts to send a message. No, countries don't have to send symbolic you're sending a message. Israel acts according to its needs and interests and values. They will always do so, and they've done so remarkably well. And this idea that this moron has to go ahead and put his office there and put Israeli soldiers at risk, defend, I mean, it's just, it's just silliness. It's childish and silliness. Well, now, we me, all know, you know, it seems that even though um, uh, Abbas, uh, as you say, was trying to uh, gain um, a political advantage and an advantage where he didn't have to submit himself to elections and other things like that. And I think that's been pointed out by a number of journalists and anybody who's, I think, objective. Right. Uh, can, can, can we take this back to the fact that this happened on Yom Yerushalayim? Right. And, so it's, it didn't and, start on Yom Yerushalayim. Certainly exacerbated by Yom Yerushalayim. When I say exacerbated, listen, I've been on that march in, in, in Jerusalem. Some of the people in that march act in an unnecessarily provocative manner by banging on Arab doors and things like that. I've seen it with my own eyes. But, um, but uh, and unfortunately, because of some the behavior of some, the march has been associated not with a collective expression of Israeli joy over the reunification, but a political march by a right-wing segment, you know, that, you know, that wants to take a, you know, maybe a more extremist posture. But the point is, you know, it, we were, sometimes we, we hurt ourselves. But again, none of that, not Ben Gavir and Sheikh Zara, not the march in, in Jerusalem, not the, uh, not, not the gate around the, you know, the blockage of, of Damascus Gate. None of, if none of that would have happened, we'd still be exactly where we are today, right? We're, we're talking about failed political leadership in the West Bank that needed to posture itself. We, then we have Hamas that sees Abbas posturing as the defender of Jerusalem, has to compete, and they compete. And the arena is Jewish, the Jewish land, and the uh, and, and the goal score is kept by Jewish blood. That's what's going on here. And uh, we we've all seen the cynical manipulation of the media. We've all seen this many times before. We've all we all know very well how Hamas puts its military uh, installations within civilian areas, not because they want Israel not to bomb them. They want Israel to bomb them. And then, uh, and then uh, there, inevitably there are civilian casualties and inevitably the, you know, uh, the, the world decries it. Listen, we all know that the single most ethical army ever to assemble in the history of mankind is the IDF. They, they warn uh, the civilian addresses uh, in time that they can leave. They go to great lengths to avoid civilian casualties. Anybody who followed the American intrusions into Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, remember how often you picked up the paper and read about an Afghani wedding party being inadvertently bombed and nobody condemned and nobody said a word. Uh, Israel is judged not by a different standard, not by a double standard, but a standard that is outlandishly never applied to anyone else that is so far removed from normal uh, discourse on on conflict or, or oh yes well again there's no question about it i mean we I, I think one of the things that even barack obama seemed to sense when he was a candidate when he went to stay wrote was that if this such a thing would occur in the united states uh from mexico or something like that right. of course he would understand that you right. just like sean connery said in the untouchables 
right? If right. you remember the scene I'm talking about, they right. come. You, they come you with pull a knife. A knife they pull a knife. You pull a gun. You pull a gun. That's the Chicago way. That and which I think everybody understands the pulling. When you start something, you got to come back strong. And every American, I think, understands that. Can can, can we uh, condemn together? a person who actually spent time on a kibbutz and I don't know what his yichus is, but of course, Bernie Sanders, here's Bernie Sanders tweet. Bernie, um, I want to tell you something. Okay. Well, let me, let me just read Sanders. Bernie Sanders tweet out of the wall street journal today. Yeah. Uh, we're seeing how the irresponsible actions of government allied right-wing extremists in Jerusalem can escalate quickly into devastating war. Um, what if the hell is going on? You know? Listen, I want to tell you, I want to tell you about Bernie Sanders. Uh, okay, Bernie Sanders, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, you know, Ilana Omar and all these people. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, unfortunately, for too many young people, even in America, uh, they have bought into this simplistic uh, way to look at every conflict in the world, which is very simple. If you have power, you must be the bad guy. If you look like a victim, if you're a person of color, you are obviously not only have the right to claim a world moral support, but you are a virtuous victim. And that power dynamic, they see everything through the same simplistic criticism. There is no complexity. There is no nuance. If you have power, you're bad. If you're weak, you're good. Israel is powerful. The Palestinians are weak. And no matter what we say, no matter what we do to explain the legal history of Sheikh Jarrah, the numerous times Palestinians have turned down an opportunity to have an independent state on 98% of the land. No matter how often we explain Israel, you're allowed to withdraw, you know, 16, withdrew 16 years ago from Gaza, not a single Israeli presence there. There's no occupation there. No matter what, what we say logically, politically, historically, no matter what we say, they see it through a simplistic lens of power makes you evil. The fact that you're a victim and you look like a victim makes you virtuous. That's the only thing they see. We're talking here about a childish view of the world that defies a- a- any precedent. It's, it's, it's bizarre. Right. And I think, you know, what I speak about Bernie specifically, because the others, whether it's Rashida Tlaib or AOC, they are youngsters who are scratching their way in. They're trying to make a name for themselves. I mean, Bernie is at the, he's in the twilight of his life. The person is not, you know, is he such a bizarre idiot? I mean, what is, what is his life taught him? I know he was a communist. I know he fought against, uh, but, but, but here again, especially since it's his people, it's people that he, he proudly calls. I want to say about Bernie Sanders. Okay. I don't know if you, we've ever talked about this. When Bernie Sanders was running for president, not now, not this time, I mean, but back in 2016, when he ran against Hillary in the, uh, in the primaries, he was giving a speech. I think it was in New York and it was, he was in an arena and, um, Actually, I think it was in Harlem. Again, my memory may be flawed on this. Anyway, he's giving a nice speech. You know, all this stuff there. And uh, at the end, a guy raises his hand. A guy in the audience raises his hand and says, Mr. Sanders, and this is all, you know, it's all on video, whatever. On YouTube, I think you can find it. Uh, A guy raises his hand and says, "Uh, Mr. Sanders, what are you going to do about Jewish control of the banks? Now, every politician knows exactly what to say at that moment. But hey, Excuse me, we will not tolerate that kind of invective at uh, this moment. Next question, please. And finish, it's over. What does Bernie Sanders do? The Jew. Direct quote. I memorized it. Sir, that's not what you mean to ask. Pause. And even though I support the state of Israel, the Palestinians have rights and deserve a state as well. Explain to me in what kind of brain. That's the secretary. When somebody asks about Jewish control of the banks, and you answer about Israel and the Palestinians, tell me what's going on in your brain. Explain that brain to me, and I'll explain it to you. It's very simple. If there's a, somebody in New York City who gets up and espouses anti-Semitism, it can only mean one thing to Bernie Sanders. The state of Israel is not being nice to Palestinians. And that's the... If, now, if he thinks like that, and he actually, he believes that. I remember I had this experience I, I, about, you know, 10 years ago, I've had a demonstration. I remember standing in the snow outside McGill University talking about Israel. Across the street, there's a leftist Jew standing there. And, uh, and, and as I'm walking by, he says to me, Rabbi, thanks for causing anti-Semitism. 
And I, I didn't answer him because I, I don't want to spend time. But I mean, the idea, the the uh, the blaming of the Jew for the irrational and pathological hatred that others have for the Jews is such a sickness. It's such a sickness. It, that kind of pathology, that kind of mental illness is something you find in the victims of persistent child abuse, where they end up blaming themselves for their own abuse, where they believe that they deserved the abuse. That's what these people are. These are the victims of of, of an imaginary anti-Semitism. What I mean imaginary is that they themselves probably never suffered from it, but from the from, from the uh, from the acquired history of anti-Semitism, where they actually believe that we are complicit in our own suffering, and if only Jews would do different, if only Jews be, if only Jews were less, if only Jews were more, if only this, there would, there would be no. And for he, Bernie Sanders answers a question about the anti-Semitic canard about Jewish control of the banks by saying 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 uh, that Palestinians need a state. Is there a non-Jewish politician? anywhere in the U.S. that would have answered the way Bernie Sanders did? Um, I would probably say yes, but I, 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 I join you in, in the condemnation of Bernie. And again, I uh, yeah, clearly, you know, it, it's really strange because, you know, the, the reason why, you know, Biden is president, I think, is because in a way people realized that Bernie couldn't win even with a, a, a severely hobbled Trump. And what they needed to do, the Democratic uh, uh, Party realized that we've got to go behind someone who at least appears uh, to be this moderate. But part no, of it was, part of it was part, just one second, part of it was the fear of Bernie. And I think Bernie, it's incredible, you know, and people were talking about feel the burn. And, and clearly Bernie has bonded uh, with uh, the squad and others, and I think it's a very, it's a very terrible thing, especially when the facts in front of them are, are so obvious. Let me ask you something. Let me go back fifty years or so. Um, you know, we we talk about Yom Yerushalayim and Yom Yerushalayim. We wanted to celebrate it. We want. I think many of us, like Mosh Terrigan wrote in a beautiful article, wanted to somehow dust off some of the pain of Miron by embracing the simcha of Yom Yerushalayim. Um, and, and leading us into Shuas, because otherwise we were really, as we spoke about last week, terribly, terribly uh, depressed and, and hurt. And, 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 and yet, you know, it didn't, and Rabbanu Shalom obviously had other plans. Does that make you think again about the mistakes that were made in 67 in terms of not putting the your pedal to the metal, not continuing uh, the, the, in other words, not succeeding, not giving back uh, the area, not, designating it under uh, the Arab you know, it, control? It's, it's hard to say. I mean, let's, you know, let's do a, a alternative history for a minute. Yeah. So the soldier goes up to the top of Al-Aqsa, takes off the, uh, the whatever was there and puts up the Israeli flag. Comes down, Moshe Dayan tells him, you know, take down the Israeli flag. Moshe Dayan takes the keys and hands it over to the Muslim Waqf. Okay, that's what happened. Had the alternative occurred? where Israel, in the most extreme, I guess, version of alternative history, leveled the place. What would have happened? I don't know. Would that have, been, would that have uh, sparked every Arab country to try to attack Israel? Would that have left Israel? I don't know. Or would six months of outrage been followed by quiet and acceptance? I don't know. Uh, but I think there's a middle ground between uh, <laughs> You know, uh, uh, you know, uh, destroying it and, and leaving it as it was. The middle ground would have been asserting more control, and uh, and not having the Muslim Waf have anything to do with it, and not allowing the Jordanians to have anything to do with it. And now the Turks are involved, by the way, in trying to assert some influence there as well. The um, um, so I, I don't know. I, I think re- the remember way. remember there was a tremendous wellspring of positivity towards Israel, which, as you say, you said a minute ago, Rabbi, that uh, that might have caused the Arab countries to, they were, they were beaten. In other words, they already had their shot. Yeah. They had had their shot. Again, again, it's alternative history is hard. So I I don't know. All I can say is that the, the validation by Israel of false claims by the Palestinians 
didn't end without in 67. And I think more egregious mistakes were made after that because you can make the argument. Remember, you remember 67 or maybe you don't. I remember. I do. I remember it very Okay, So you remember what every firm person said. You're not allowed to go up there. You can't go up there. Now people are a little more makeable on certain parts of it. Some people are, I should say, but most of the Shiva world certainly never goes up there. And, and, And the general feeling in the firm world was, well, we can't go up there anyway, so who cares what's going on? Um, but and th- there were certainly more egregious mistakes made. I mean, you know, and again, those who made the mistakes uh, uh, haven't been humbled by them at all. I mean, we, we all know what, what, you know, what Israel was told in the 1990s about, you know, if you do this, you do that. Uh, what was said when we withdrew from Gaza, you know, uh, it'll, it'll, bring, it'll make Israel more secure. Obviously, it hasn't. You know, and again, I yeah, but but that's actually the opposite, Rabbi Popko. That's where Israel was told, right? That was where, if we, we, that's where we we listened to to the restraint and 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 moved out of Gaza. Again, I I know. Look, I I guess I have a fondness for altering history, but um, you know, when you talk about the frustration of you talked about some of. I don't know if it's thuggish behavior, but of some of these, there's still a, a transmission of, of frustration from people who fought in the 67 war. Yes. Remember, and they've given it over to their children. We're, we, we, we remember it. I think people who are marching and saying, we've got to assert control here, uh, were ones who were, have heard from their parents about how frustrated they were with whether it was Diane's decision or Levi Eshkol, yeah. whoever decided that. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why uh, it, 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 there's such pain. Listen, but, I, I, don't, I don't remember well enough, and maybe I, you know, I haven't read about it. I don't recall any voices in 67 that called for its removal. I don't recall. I mean, between 48 and 67, I mean, the only guy that was screaming about Jerusalem was Menachem Begin. Everyone else had given up on ever having Jerusalem again, pretty much. I, I know that I know that Rev Gorin, who was the uh, was the head of the, and he was of course was the one who joined the paratroopers and blew the shofar. And what did he say? Harabayas biadeno, right? Or kotel right. biadeno? So I think it's harabayas. Harabayas. It was not Gorin. It was it was the, it was Mati Gorin. He's a harabayas biadeno. Harabayas biadeno. And Gorin blew the shofar at the yes. at the Koso. Now Rev Gorin wrote many years later. Uh, how important it was to go to Harabayas was actually a mitzvah. Yes, in order to sh- to to show that we have control. In other words, as Dayan's decision uh, sort of developed to a point where um, it became a, a fact on the ground that we don't have any control there, right. Gorin was pushing wrote a halachic tshuva. Right. So I think that's what I'm saying. I, I don't think it's an either or. <laughs> Excuse me. I don't think it's an either or of keeping it or getting rid of it. I think the the, the other option was. Removing um, it from the control of, uh, uh, of you know of, of, of the wakf, and it should have been put under the uh, under the, the authority of Misrata the Tot. I mean, and, it does say it, it doesn't say Misrata that it's Misrata the Tot. It's plural. You know, they, <laughs> I understand. So technically, it would have been similar to the Armenian churches and other yeah. stuff that's in the that's in the old city, and and I think that you know it probably could have been managed. It probably could have been managed in a way to let the Muslims uh, go up there and, 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 and use the mosque. At the same time, there would have been... A you strong, know, but listen, a for, for a lot of Jews, you know, for the refined uh, liberal Jews, it was always a, a mark of pride. You know, look, we allow, we allow, we allow. All right, I understand that. You know, you want to feel good about being a liberal and tolerant and not doing to others what they would certainly do to us. All right, that's fine. But... Uh, to allow a situation where it's uh, under the control today of uh, of voices that incite violence and uh, and, and engage in uh, you know insane rhetoric against the Jews and uh, it was it was violent. again the mosque itself I believe was used as a staging ground to throw stuff they hide the rocks were hidden there we all, I mean that's that's what they do well, let me ask you another question the um, we talked here on this program which is so uh, listened to throughout the planet. Uh, about the, you know, we talk, actually got a lot of hits on this one, on the uh, on your estimation of where the Biden presidency was going after 100 days. Um, do, you, do you give any credit to, you know, Ben Shapiro's claim yesterday that we can t- show a direct line from what, what, uh, what, what was happening in, in Israel in terms of, in terms of the Arab rockets to Biden's more... Um, understanding approach 
to Palestinian rights, freeing up money for them uh, to a number of their institutions. Uh, and that really encourages them because they know they're not going to get condemnation. With Trump, they realized that they were dealing with someone who wasn't going to put up with things and his State Department were, gonna, were not going to be listening. Whereas they- I, 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 Listen, I, the negative is, is for sure arguable. What I mean by the negative is, had Trump been president, they probably wouldn't have done this. I think that's pretty clear. I, I think you can make that argument, even if you're somebody who, who reviled Trump and thought he was horrible and everything else, you can at least honestly admit that, you know, with him sitting in the White House, you know, the Palestinians want to roll the dice on this one. Why? Because they, 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 they knew that accurately, that he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have any way attempted to restrain an Israeli response. Biden obviously will and has. I mean, when Sherman was on, on the phone, uh, Blinken was on the phone with their Israeli counterparts asking for restraint. I'm not really sure what that means in this context. And, uh, and that uh, although the public statements of the American government haven't been bad, not perfect, but they have been bad. They say there's also the right to defend itself and all of that. But they do talk with this tone of moral equivalency, which is, has become nauseating and, and offensive. But, uh, but at least they said what, at least they said that. Uh, but again, I think, you know, it is possible that the major issue here we've all ignored, which is that forget Sheikh Jarrah, forget, forget internal Palestinian politics, forget all that stuff. This could be simply Israel's been bombing every single week, some Iranian target in Syria uh, or, or, or in the Gulf. And uh, this was Iran wishing to punish Israel without being so implicated that it might trigger a wider conflict and just flip the switch on Hamas. I mean, the Iranian role both in Gaza and in the assignment of the West Bank shouldn't be discounted. And the reason I mention it is because what the key issue between Israel and America today is not going to be Palestinians. That's a, it's, it's a, I understand. It's going to the be the Iranian. It's going to be Iran. Right. And I, you know, I remember what my late father once said. I don't remember in which context he said it, but whether it was when Arafat said no at Oslo or Assad, who said no to the fourth offer uh, uh, of Israel to give back the Golan in one form or another, where it is, he, he said to me once, he says, of the Yidden Mekanish Velozhin. Of the Abishem Atonish Velozhin, of the of the Arabim Mimek Velozhin, which basically means you can't rely on Jews to do the right thing. You're not allowed to rely on God. You don't rely on miracles, but on the Arabs you can always rely. Meaning, and again, I know Iran is not Arab. And what what, it, what again what, what that meant was Israel made recklessly generous offers to Assad, recklessly generous offers to uh, to, to Arafat. Thankfully, they were turned down. And I think we may be seeing the same dynamic with Iran. America has made recklessly generous offers in Vienna, but the Iranians continue to say no because they want even more. And we know about the offers. There's been enough leaks in the, in, in the media. We know how they've offered generous sanction relief, even on sanctions that are unrelated to the nuclear effort. So thankfully, so far, the Iranians haven't acquiesced so, to so these offers. Right, but, but so so in a way, you're sort of agreeing to Shapiro's point, which I think he also made as well. Whether it's 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 encouraging uh, the Palestinians directly or uh, making nice with Iran, which of course that's what Biden did. One of the first things he did was said, "We're going to restore." But I have to tell you, the Iranian, the Americans with the Iranians is such a again, it's almost like a fixation where the world has changed dramatically since 2015, since the deal. What America now knows about the Iranian nuclear effort and it, and the deceptions that went along with it is much more detailed. They know how many sites were never declared. They know what went on even after the deal was signed. Israel has given them all the information from the retrieval, the brilliant retrieval of Israel, of the Iranian nuclear archive in 2018. They, the Americans know all this stuff, and yet they're acting as if nothing's changed. They just want to restore what Obama did. These, for the Obama administration, the Iran deal was their singular success, they think, and the people who made that deal are now back in business 
in positions more influential in this administration, right, sure. the Obama administration. You know, the, and, the people. And I, 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 I think you need to explain to to people. Or at least I will. I'll take the, the Go ahead. part of what part of what Obama felt, or not was Obama, but whatever the brain, the think tank behind. Because I don't think Obama had any experience at all in terms of foreign relations when he entered office. But the think tank behind him thought that you know, you know, the. Um, uh, the Middle East is sort of like the south side of Chicago. Which gang are we going to give more control to? Right. I think the point was, they're all a bunch of murderers. They're all terrible. But let's let's prop up Iran. If Iran is propped up and, and, and is more of a player, they felt there was an, an ultimate stability there that would occur. That was I mean, sort the, of like the thing, the real politic behind it. I mean, the hubris, you're right. That's exactly what they felt. The hubris of that is breathtaking, that they felt they could somehow engineer some delicate balance of, of spheres of influence. I mean, but, but the lies that were told. I mean, I don't know. Again, what you said just now is probably what was in their hearts. But what they said was so egregiously offensive, where Obama says, you know, the, the deal has sunset clause. It'll give Iran, to quote him, a chance to get right with the world. What does it even mean? We know that the money they got because of the deal has only emboldened their mischief in the Middle East, put it mildly, whether it was in Yemen or, 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 or Syria or Iraq or Lebanon, right? That whole arc of Iranian influence and the billions of dollars that they uh, were able to, to get their hands on that were given to the revolutionary regard simply, simply to destabilize uh, the region. And Obama touted it as, you know, get right with the. I mean, and the fact that you have these people back in, 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 in an American administration acting as if nobody and nothing has changed. It's just, it, it, I, again, I, I think we're in a situation just like we were at Camp David, just like we were when there was negotiations over the Golan, where we can't rely on the good guys doing the right thing, the ostensible good guys. We have to rely on the bad guys being so stupid and self-destructive that they're <laughs> going to say no even to wildly generous offers. That's who we have to rely on. And because right now with the impending Iranian elections, where nobody wants to look like a moderate or, or in any way dealing with America, they may end up saying no to no matter what Biden has offered. So far, there's no deal in there. You know. And again, there are voices in the Democratic Party, like Robert Menendez and others, who, are, who will not accept you know, uh, a, a, a deal uh, the likes of which the, the administration may want. And, uh, and so, I, you know, it, hopefully, whether it's because of internal Democratic Party dissent or because of Iranian refusal, those are the only things that could possibly save us from a renewed deal at this time. Uh, you know, let, let's take this uh, into another arena uh, and the arena that that you're very familiar with. Obviously, this is something you think about, but the arena that you walk in day in and day out in Shul, how is the, the, this impending war, let's, let's call it, you know, this, or, or at least the, the elements of war, how is this going to influence you? I mean, I'm sure you've thought about it in terms of what the Avoda and the Shul uh, of the next couple of days, obviously we, we're getting ready for Shuas. Listen, we did but, a... Uh... We did a, you know, Montreal, we're still like three or four months behind you guys on vaccines. So we're still Zooming it most of the time. And we did a Zoom gathering for, uh, I mean, obviously regular davening weren't show, but uh, when we wanted to do some kind of larger community gathering, we did it on Zoom last night for Tehillim for Israel. Uh, you know, it continues to be uppermost in everyone's mind. Uh, to get back to what I started with, which was the narcissism of, of our age, uh, leaving aside my bitter cynicism, and invective, the fact is uh, everybody has somebody in Israel and this weighs on everybody's heart deeply. And, uh, and even if you don't, you're a good Jew and it is family. But, um, it, you know, to the sight of people uh, huddling in bunkers, uh, you know, last night and the night before, it's, it's, it's devastating. You know, uh, those who are sensitive to history, you step back and go, you know, you know, you know, yeah, we, we, well, we, we, well, again, you know, but, but I think it's, 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 it's subtly different. And, you know, we talked about our memories of 67. And I think you've talked about in the past how you went around with Pushkas. And I remember the two, the, right, the tremendous amount of money uh, that was being raised. I think you've spoken about uh, yeah. how you and your sister, your twin, 
um, went uh, going out collecting. I remember, you know, of how much money was raised, like even in cities like Memphis and others where I come from, uh, money, we got to send money to Israel. We have to, we have right. to, we were a, buying bullets. Yeah, That's right, what we right, right. Because that was the, the idea that we were we were so much the underdog that America said, what the hell can we do? It's another Holocaust perhaps coming, but right. we're not going to let that happen. We're going to. And, 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 and it was incredible. And I think, you know, we talk about the incredible spirit of, of the miraculous things of the Six Day War. And that was obviously one other miracle that occurred was the the energizing. Unlike what happened during World War II, the energizing of so much American feeling, funds, money, that everything was going there. Uh, and, and, and even though it was terrible and there was this threat, but there was people felt they were doing something. What do you oh, think? I want to tell you something. Whether well, was... What can we do now? I guess that's my point. Then we knew send money, raise right. money, send your kids out. And, and, and that, what can we do is this is happening. Another you know, aspect of war coming on Corona, coming after Marone. You know, what can you do in your shul besides saying we're going to... All right, okay, here's, let's be blunt here. I, I think, and maybe you caught me at a bad moment, but I think we have to start being less concerned with what the world thinks and more concerned about our own children. I think that too many kids today who were raised taking for granted a strong and powerful Israel and who want to be involved in the enlightened causes that they find on campus, find themselves having to choose between being a proud Jew or buying into the agenda of the left. And the agenda of the left may be the environment, maybe uh, transgender rights, maybe racism and Black Lives Matter, but on that list is being pro-Palestinian. And we have to somehow instill in our kids enough dignity, pride, and knowledge that they are able to withstand the very seductive forces of, new, of, of, of wokeism and new age politics, uh, where it is assumed a knee-jerk assumption that Israel, because it is powerful, because it is wealthy, must therefore be condemned. And uh, we have to instill in our own kids. The question is, and here's the real tough question, and I know how the American Jewish community answered this question, and I think it may have been answered incorrectly, this is not a new issue. This has been going on since the 70s, where the left has turned on Israel. It's more pronounced now, but it certainly started in the 70s. The approach of the American Jewish community, all of us, maybe not all of us, was to say to young Jews, yes, be a liberal. Yes, embrace the ideology of the left. But Israel should be supported by the left because it's democratic, it's feminist, it's gay rights, and all this stuff. In other words, being pro-Israel is not a contradiction to being a left-wing uh, uh, ideologue. That apparently has failed. <laughs> and there were always voices, whether it was the Ruth Wises of the world or the Norman Horses of the world, who said, no, it is insufficient to do that. I don't know if they ever said this explicitly, but I think it was implicit in what they were saying. It's, it's, it's insufficient to try to sell, it won't work to try to sell Israel as a liberal cause. It just won't work. It just won't work because the way liberals think today is destined to, to result in an anti-Israel posture. The only way to do it is to go after the entire foundation of the left. You can't attack their position on Israel. You have to attack liberalism, which I, I you know, sympathize with enormously. Right. I mean, the, the way they address all the issues are wrong, whether it's the economy or racism or whatever is wrong. And the only way to get young Jews to be pro-Israel is to get them to be right wing. Or conservative or moderate Republicans. Right. What, or moderate Democrats. Or, or, you know, the only way to get them to be pro-Israel is if they have to re, they have to rethink their position on a whole host of issues. Because if they're going to buy into the left-wing way of looking at the world, you cannot pluck Israel out of that basket. You can't. And again, for 40 years, the American Jewish community felt we could pluck Israel out of the basket of, of liberal causes. When I say Israel, I mean being anti-Israel. How we, the, the pro-Israel educators, Hasbara people, always believed you could pluck Israel out of the basket of, of the left-wing agenda for young Jews. And you can't. You can't do it. 
So really, again, the, the essence, I think, of what you're saying, or at least what comes out of what you're saying, is it's a pretty tough situation, because you know as well as I do, that if we push uh, you know, the, the percentage, and still the majority percentage of Jews are not Orthodox, and they're not necessarily, but we want them to feel a connection to, to Israel. But if we ask them to also turn their back on the left-wing causes and march for Israel against those causes, they know that they're going to be canceled and condemned. There's no way right. they're going to do that. Oh, the challenge is enormous. Yeah. And, and uh, here's the thing. It's, it's really... It, Listen, it, it, the other huge mistake American Jews made was, you know, they thought, you, you know, they could raise young Jews who were proud while at the same time, uh, you know, embrace a fanatical commitment to Jewish illiteracy. Uh, and, and that doesn't work. And it, it, that doesn't work. And uh, the only way you're going to have proud Jews who have the kishkas to stand up for a Jewish state and Jewish rights, because Jews do have rights uh, for Jewish rights is if they're educated and they're fluent and they're, and they're literate and they know our language and they know our ideas and they know our books. And unless they know our ideas and our books, you're not going to get it. You, you, you okay. can't have a, a, a Jewish pride built on illiteracy. Well, well, that sort of movement, you know, is, is something which is, is, is in conflict with the idea of an immediate response. That's something that has to be grassroots, and that's something that grows over time, as you know as well as I do. You're not going to just listen to Pupko's podcast. Oh, so that's what I'm getting up, to. So, right, right. You so need, you, here's what our job right now is. Just because the fire's burning, our job right now is to get simple information. When I say simple, I mean, we don't, yeah, we're not going to ask people to read books. We're going to ask people to read a position paper, maybe probably just one page to get people to get enough information from people's hands to understand what's happening, at least in this moment. So they know what to answer on Instagram and on TikTok, which is filled with garbage. And they need to know what to say. You know, you're wrong. Read this. Sheikh Zara, that's not the story, right? Sheikh Zara, no matter what the court decides, will be 99.9% Arab tomorrow morning, right? No one's being, no one's being illegally moved out of their homes. Nothing like that is that just to get the basic information out there to just to hold back the barricades a little bit so that our kids on social media, on campuses, know that by being a Jew does not mean that they are associated with a criminal state. At least that, Diana. At least that they should know that Israel has, that Israel so, is in the right. So, so, so what I was thinking about, which of course may be uh, harks from my age and what I remember, the idea of like marching or having the Israel Day parade or something like that very soon. And the same way, you know, you have a Black Lives Matter uh, protest. The fact is, is that we, to go out there and march and say, this has to stop, rockets coming and hitting buses in, uh, in, in, in Halon or, in, or schools in Ashkelon, this can't happen. Getting That's certainly a piece of the activism. But again, I think for, you don't think it's going to work that well. No, here's what I think is that we live in a bizarre new world. You and I are dinosaurs, you especially. And uh, when a young I, want, person, I, I want to be triceratops, <laughs> maybe a raptor. I don't know. I had a, a velociraptor, perhaps. Here's the problem Facebook and Instagram and all these people, they have now created a world where oh my God, I care about this issue. Let me push, push like, let me share, reshare a tweet. That's where their activism is. Their activism is on their mouse pad. That's where their activism is. All right. And that's all it is or on their, or, or, or on their iPhone, right? Just by pushing a button, uh, by pushing a like or a share or whatever it is. Uh, so it could be the model of activism that you and I grew up with and that is continue to love and embrace Maybe doesn't work for the for, for, for the kids. I don't know. But it's certainly part of the puzzle. Part of the puzzle is communal acts of solidarity and private acts of education. Those two things have to happen. Well, again, I, I, you know, obviously, you know, it, it wasn't it's not happening in this geographic location. But the, don't don't the BLM marches of the last of, of last. No, I know. I, again, did that change anyone's mind? I don't know. Do, do, do marches work? I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I think part of it was that it, it, it was able to tap into white guilt and a white sense of, 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 of wrong. What I'm worried about is if we make this, if we encourage our young people and all of us, not just the young people, but everybody to go out there and say, go to the, the go to the uh, whatever consulates you're at and say, stop the bombing, stop bombing our people, stop shooting rockets, uh, throwing, you know, killing people. 
perhaps, as you say, um, people, it will be reported in the news once again as equivalency. In other words, there's going to be, there's going, there, ultimately, there's more, there's probably more Muslims still able to garner support than there can be uh, Jews. And it's going to turn into, as far as the media is concerned, not a great social uh, action, but it's going to be concerned, okay, the Jews did this, other people did this. And, and listen, this is- it, it, listen it, we've been fighting a PR battle for Israel for 100 years. And uh, with some successes, I think Americans, are different than most Westerners. Americans still support Israel overwhelmingly. Uh, again, a little uh, less so in the, in the younger generation. Uh, you know, we've been screaming about biased uh, Israeli, I'm sorry, biased Israeli coverage in American media for a long time, a long time. Yet every public opinion show, show uh, a poll shows huge, huge support for Israel. Uh, sometimes six to one, five to one over the Palestinians. I mean, huge numbers, maybe that is sometimes three to one, but it's always huge disparity in those who support Israel versus those who are opposed. So again, maybe we've spent too much time worrying about the media because it doesn't seem their campaign against Israel has been effective. However, um, our focus needs to be on Jews. I, you know, I, 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 I'm not worried about American public opinion. I'm not worried about Canadian public opinion or European public opinion. As long as we know what's right, when the Jewish people know what's right. Listen, it's the first Rashi and Chumash, right? Well, she says, why do we have to know Bereshis to know we own the land? So go to the UN and show them the Rashi, show them safer Bereshis. It won't persuade anybody. So what does Rashi mean? What he means is we have to know. We have to know. And if we know what's right, we're okay. When the Jewish people are united, or at least we have a consensus, we can't lose. Right? We only are hurt when we give up. And when we abandon the cause, if Jewish kids are knowledgeable and Jewish adults are, are, act with knowledge and pride and, 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 and courage, we're going to be okay. The Hasbara needs to be focused on Jewish kids, keeping Jewish kids aware and knowledgeable enough to have the guts to stand up for who they are as Jews, for who they are as Zionists. And if the Jewish kids are knowledgeable, we'll be okay. But uh, Okay. But, uh, you know, I, I, I can't worry about public opinion anymore. We don't have that. It, it's, it, I don't think it's worthwhile. I think our energies needs to be expended, focused intensely on keeping Jews proud. And I guess Shuas is really a, a, a prime yeah. time as we talk about the Tanayim Amlechas Kohen and Vugay Kodosh, and maybe even this the, the horror that's coming out of Eretz Yisrael and the, and the fear. Uh, we can sort of like wrap it in and say, yes. Memlech is kind of a great kodosh, all of us, wherever we are, in terms of representing Klal Yisrael and representing what Klal Yisrael means. And, and in that way, perhaps, uh, you know, it's not going to put a damper on Shuas, but it might energize us the same way so many people were energized so many years ago by, uh, during uh, 1967. Thanks, Rabbi Pupko. I hope that when we speak next week, we will be able to have here B'Surus Toivis, Mirz Hashem, and a positive way. Take care, everybody. See you later. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.